Theories Discipleship 101. Uh, I looked up where the 101 comes from in the American University System. Course 101 is the introductory course at beginner's level. So this is a sort of introductory course to being a Christian. Not becoming a Christian so much as being a Christian. So the talks are going to be about what we would call discipleship. Why do that? Because when somebody becomes a Christian, that is just the beginning. There is the matter of going on from having become a Christian to living the Christian life and growing as a Christian. And in shorthand, we're saying that that's being a disciple. So it's not a one-off thing. You become a Christian and that's it. A bit like having a MMR vaccination. You've had it. I mean, I don't even remember whether I had a... Did, would I have had an MMR? I guess I would have done. I, I, I've forgotten. It, and, it, and, you know, I just carry on anyway. Becoming a Christian is not like that. It is more like entering a relationship. It's more like getting married. You begin... Uh, a lifelong relationship and that relationship needs tending and maintaining and can develop and grow and the people in it can develop and grow and that's what being a Christian is like or that's more like that. So let me just break off a moment. Is my voice coming and going in different volumes? I don't know why because I'm, I'm speaking the same volume and it was the same with you wasn't it? I, Let's just, I will just carry on as long as you can hear me. That's the main thing. Yeah. So, often when we preach, we invite people to come to Jesus Christ. And that's the right thing to do to come for the first time from being separate to Jesus to coming into a relationship with Him through faith. But there's more. So Colossians, uh, Paul writes, he says, continue to live your lives in him. And what he actually says is walk in him, rooted and built up in Jesus Christ. That seems to have the idea of going on and developing, doesn't it? Uh, in the text that Arsema read, Jesus says to his disciples, if you abide in me, and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. So this idea of being fruitful in the Christian life. And Jesus wants his followers to be fruitful. Or putting it another way, from the beginning of Mark's Gospel, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. As Jesus seeing these guys... And he says to them, come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. So there's the idea of not just coming to him and then leaving, but coming and following, uh, following and following and following. And Jesus says, I will make you into something that you weren't before. So if we take these ideas of living in him, walking in him, being built up in him, or this idea of abiding in him, bearing fruit, bearing more fruit, 
or following and continuing to follow uh, and being made into something that we weren't before. All of these ideas is what we're trying to get at in this idea of discipleship and going on with the Lord. So how do we do that? How to follow, how to continue, how to grow. Have I switched off altogether now? I'll keep going. How to be fruitful. So if you're a Christian, I think we ought to be asking that. How can I grow? How can I stay close to the Lord? How can I be fruitful? And a simple answer, like any relationship, there's a two-way conversation and a response of behavior. So anybody humanly that you've got to know, you will have got to know by talking to them, listening to them, and modifying your behavior in accordance. So how are you? I'm fine. Shall we go for a walk? Yeah, let's go for a walk. I don't know, that's a little conversation in which you might get to know somebody. And that's not a bad thought for the Christian. Uh, We listen to God, and he speaks to us through the Bible. We speak to God in prayer. Uh, In that listening and speaking, there is the aspect of faith, which is, um, I guess it's not quite the same, or to the same degree in a sort of human relationship, but here faith is very important. And obeying. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And these sort of basic ideas of the Christian life. Uh, walking with him. So <clears throat> this morning we're going to be looking at uh, particularly listening to God's word. I remember a preacher from South Wales and I wish I could remember exactly what he said. He said, today I'm going to tell you how you can be the most excellent Christian, how you can uh, find the presence of God, how you can be transformed in your life. And he built it up so much, you think, wow, he's going to sell us something really big. What's he going to say is the answer. And he said, and the way to do it is this. Read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day. Read your Bible, pray every day, or something like that. And it's actually a very simple Thing to how to live the Christian life and I'd just like to pick up on that there's more to it but this is a, at least a simple start isn't it um, read your Bible pray every day that's what, that's what I'm going to say um, and there is a thing that Christians in the 20th and 21st century call the quiet time uh, and you think what is a quiet time what do they do just sit in a corner and sort of be quiet. It's, a, it, it's a, a label for the idea of spending 10 or 15 or 20 minutes reading your Bible and praying, and people call it a quiet time. And I'm going to try and encourage us to have a quiet time, but I'm doing so very conscious uh, of, is this actually in the Bible? Does the apostle, well, I've got it here, is this right Um, Or is this just a a 20th, 21st century thing that people have just invented? 
I mean, would Moses have said, read your Bible, pray every day? Would David have said it? Uh, would Jesus have said this? Would the Apostle Paul have said this? So what I'd like to do, uh, I mean, it's nothing very spectacular, just to look at what these people did say on this subject, uh, that we might just take what the Bible says and, and try to apply it in our lives. So um, answer number one, uh, none of these people would have said, read your Bible, because the idea of having a Bible, a printed Bible, is a very modern thing. Uh, printing uh, was invented in 1455. I did the maths on my computer. That's 568 years ago. 568 years of the 2,023 years that there has been Christianity, only in the last, that, that number, have, any, have people been available, have there been printed Bibles available to have? And the idea of having your own printed Bible is a magnificent, amazing, modern thing. I mean, how privileged we are. We've got Bibles, I was going to say, coming out of our ears, but we've got got lots of different versions of the Bible. You can get Bibles on the internet. You can get Bibles on your phone. And they didn't have that in the days of Paul. They wouldn't, not everybody would have had a Bible. There would have been copies in the, of the, the Scriptures, probably kept centrally in the local synagogue. The, the scrolls of all the prophets would have been the most treasured possession. I mean, own, it, that's where they were. They would have been in the synagogue. Now, that's not to say that people didn't know the Scriptures, but the honest truth is they didn't have a, their own personal printed copy the way we do. So, what did they do and what did they say? So, let's look. Um, let's ask Abraham, how did you live your life? And let's read in Genesis chapter 15, Verse 4. Was God's word any part of your life? Did, what did it mean to you? Was, was yours a faith that had to do with listening to God or anything like that? <clears throat> Excuse me. So Abraham, in Genesis 15.4... Uh, Abraham was childless, and um, God spoke to him. The word of the Lord came to Abraham. This servant of yours will not be your heir. A son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. God took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Crucial text. Look up at the sky and look at the stars. So shall your offspring be. So here's... How did Abraham do his spiritual life? God spoke to him. 
That's right, isn't it? The word of the Lord came to him. How important was that? It was of absolutely overwhelming importance. What did he have to do with God's word? God said to him, at the moment you don't have any children, but let me tell you, in the future, your offspring will be as many as these stars. Do you believe me? And Abraham heard God's word, heard that promise, and believed it. And God said, that's it. Uh, you, you are a believer. In my book, you are righteous. If you're a person believing me in my book, um, I'm on your side. Uh, you're my friend. And that believing of God's word was absolutely crucial to Abraham. There's a model for us there, because as the Apostle Paul tells us, that Christians are children of Abraham if we walk in the footsteps of faith that Abraham had. In other words, we're in the same position that we hear God's word, his promises, and we believe them, and we are counted as righteous. So, although Abraham wouldn't have said, read your Bible, let pray every day, he would have said, I can't live unless I know God's promise, and I live by faith in what he's told me. And I think that's very important. He heard God's word, he believed the promise, and that was the basis of his relationship. The Apostle Paul says we're in much the same position. He doesn't promise us that our offspring will be as many as the stars in the sky. But he makes promises to us through Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and rose again. And our faith is in him, and we walk by faith in his word. Um, somewhere, and I didn't find exactly where Calvin had said this, on, uh, on the matter of Abraham. He said, that's how he lived his life. God offered him his bare word, and that single promise was sufficient for Abraham to live his life. Uh, for many years, he just had a, sort of the bare promise of God. So, Here's what Abraham says. He doesn't say read your Bible, pray every day, but he does say, the only way I can live the life of faith is by hearing what God said, grabbing onto it, and living accordingly. So I think that's significant. Let's ask Moses. Moses, what would you say about the word of God? So I'm going now to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 7. What would you say... Um, How do you think the word of God interacts with the life of people on earth? So I've got this, which I put up on the screen, and I'll read it. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. 
Tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So printing hadn't been invented in the time of Moses. But he does say the words of this law are to be known publicly and you are to saturate your life with what God has said. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. So it's got to go down deep into you. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. So in your ordinary life, God's word should be sort of in the atmosphere of conversation and of thought and, in the, uh, and, uh, and everything. And I put there, he would encourage us to non-stop exposure to and saturation with God's words. Um, he says, somehow write them on your, on your hands. Just when you're doing stuff, be reminded of God's words and on your foreheads. And when you're thinking of stuff, God's word should be sort of governing your mind. And when you go into your house and when you go out of your house, you're reminded of God's word because it's, as it were, either literally or metaphorically written on the doorposts. And incidentally, he says that this is, should be part of family life and everyday life. He doesn't say read your Bible, pray every day, but he does say that, doesn't he? God's word should saturate your life. And I could ask, and how are we going to respond to that? Uh, what are we going to do that we should have the same blessing and the same way of living? What, what habits shall we have? What um, methods shall we have to saturate our lives with God's word? And then I'm going to ask, I'm sorry, it's coming and going, isn't it? Um, Psalm 1. So let's ask the psalmist. So you don't have a, um, a printed Bible, uh, psalmist, but what do you say about, what, uh, about God's word, about the, the revelation of God's word? And this is Psalm 1. And he says, uh, he begins with a blessing. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked... Or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. Whatever he does prospers. So this is going to be a lot easier for us who do have a Bible. But the, even the psalmist says, what's the secret of living a life that is fruitful and God-honoring and pleasant and right? Uh, well, there's some things to avoid, behavior. He says uh, you're avoiding walking in step with the wicked or standing in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. So there's something negative there to avoid. But on the positive... He says, see how precious is the instruction of the Lord. Your delight in the law of the Lord. You meditate on it day and night. 
a lot easier for us if we've got a Bible, isn't it? But, but to meditate on it day and night. And there's a promise attached. He says that the person who does this is like a, a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. Um, does it say does not wither? Or have I missed that out? Um, but the idea of a, a tree which doesn't dry up, but keeps going and produces fruit at the right time. He says, well, that's the person who has this relationship with the word of God, delights in it and meditates on it. Uh, delight meaning it's not a chore. You know, it's like, oh dear, I've got to read my Bible now. Um, there's a delighting and this idea of meditating. I guess it can include, if you didn't have a Bible, what you'd memorized or what you'd heard on Sunday. Uh, but to think about it, to find a way of perhaps... I know if you've got other people in your house to say, what did you, can you remember what was said on Sunday? Or how does this text go? Or something like that, to meditate, to mull over, to chew over, to consider. I think I'm correct in saying it's the same word in Psalm 2 as the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain. You know, they think about it and chew things over and, and make plans. So the psalmist would say, that's the secret of a fruitful life. Delighting in the law of the Lord and meditating on it day and night. Now let's ask Jesus, what would you say? If I can reverently put it that way. Of course, in the time of Jesus, there wasn't a, a printed Bible. But he does say this. And... Uh, our Sema read it to us. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus ties this fruitfulness very much to himself personally, but notice how he does it. If you remain in me, this is verse 7 now, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. So Jesus says, you know, it's not a mechanical thing. You know, the more words you read, the more holy you're going to get. It's a personal thing. It's to do with me, says the Lord Jesus. You need to be it, abiding in me and I need to be abiding in you but he does say you can't do it without his words if my words remain in you and he notice how he he also links up with prayer if my words remain in you ask whatever you wish so here, here abiding in the Lord with his words abiding in us, living a life of prayer, and it actually goes on to talk about a life of obedience as well. So here's fruitfulness. Now, Christian, would you like to be fruitful? Yeah. Um, the Lord Jesus is central. Without a relationship with him, we can't be fruitful just by sort of trying our best or doing some rules or... Um, you know, even if they're good rules, 
like, like, I don't know, just praying for 30 minutes a day or something, unless it's to do with him, uh, it doesn't get us anywhere. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus himself is central. Prayer is essential. Obedience is essential. But Jesus' words are essential. Whoever, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, says Jesus, I will be ashamed of him when my Father comes uh, in the, the time of his glory. Um, I have a friend who is, is asking, they might even watch this, about the place of God's word in the Christian life. And I think as we build up this picture as we've been doing this morning, we can't live the Christian life without God's word, can we? It's just an impossibility. And how grateful we should be that we have God's word. And what a privilege to have our own copy that we can read any time we want. Um, yeah. Let's, let's use it, I think, is what, what, what I'm trying to say. Let's find a way of doing this in our lives. I, I've, I ask, again, what would Jesus say um, in Matthew chapter 5? This is a Sermon on the Mount. Back in the mid-20th century, it used to be said, oh, I don't really like any of this enthusiastic Christianity or born-again Christianity. Just give me the Sermon on the Mount. It uh, never really held water, even in the in the mid-20th century. But anyway, here's, here's, the, here's the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. And you notice that the sermon is words. Uh, when Jesus blesses people, chapter 5, verse 4, blessed are the poor in spirit, he doesn't do a sort of Jedi thing where he waves his hands and conveys a blessing by, you know, Jedi magic. He does it by words. Blessed are the poor in spirit. When the sower goes out to sow, he sows the word, doesn't he? And notice Jesus's high view of the Old Testament scriptures, uh, chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, unless heaven and earth disappear... Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So he, he's saying that um, uh, Jesus' view of the Scriptures, that the Hebrew Scriptures are the Word of God which, which can't be broken. He says this in another place. That's what... The Hebrew scriptures are, they will not be abolished, but fulfilled. And that's typical of Jesus' high view of the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, and interestingly, Jesus also has a very high view of his own words. You have heard it said, uh, verse 22, but I tell you, and I was going to go through and underline every time he said, I tell you, but I did, never got round to it. Jesus is a person who says, this is what it says in the Bible, that will never be broken, that will be fulfilled, and here am I telling you. And you, get this, you get to pick up the sense of Jesus' own personal authority uh, as, uh, as speaking 
words that will never fail, speaking words of power, words of truth, words of life. These are the words of the Lord Jesus, I tell you. And perhaps a rather graphic way of explaining that or bringing it home is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where he does the one about the man who built his house on the sand and the one who built his house on the rock. It's a standard Sunday school uh, picture, isn't it? Uh, The wise man built his house upon the rock. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. Uh, Now, what happens next? The waves came up and the... Okay, the house on the sand went splat, or whatever it says in your version, <laughs> flat. It's a, it's a, a wonderful, th- uh, you could sort of make it into a, a, a lovely children's song. But let's get at what, what he's actually said. Hmm? Yeah, yeah, it is. But um, just notice what it's actually about. It's about people's lives being totally ruined or totally secure. And Jesus puts it at the end as really quite a solemn statement, really. He says, there is a way that you think you're fine, but when it comes to it, when the storm of judgment comes, your life will be ruined. Your life will be completely splatted. And he says, well, what, is, what, what, what will do that? It's to do with his words. And he says, there is a way that on that last tremendous day when there is the pressure of judgment and the solemnity of God examining each person's life, that on that day you will be secure, uh, that your house will stand firm and gloriously firm. And he says, and what's the difference? Both of these people hear Jesus' words, but one of them does them. The one who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Do you notice how crucial Jesus' words are and how crucial it is to take them seriously in faith, in obedience, in every way that's a proper response to what he's said? Jesus doesn't say, read your Bible, pray every day, but he says, listen to what I say and take it so seriously. Know what I've said, take it so seriously that you do it because otherwise there is no way back from ruin. That's how seriously Jesus takes his words. The crucial nature of his words and the crucial nature of taking seriously what he says. So again, I ask... Where are we on this? You know, it is possible, I guess, to get into a Christian doldrums where we, we're not that bothered what God says in his word. We're too busy. Uh, pressures of life too much. And it all becomes rather distant. And it all becomes rather unreal. And Jesus says, that's a place of real danger. Because you need to be hearing my words, meditating on everything that God has said. And you need to be doing it.
Thank God that we've got a Bible. Eh? We, 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 we have what he said. We can read it all. We can take it all in. It's amazing. What would the apostles say? Read your Bible, pray every day. Um, the, the apostles, let me just explain, are Jesus' authorized spokespeople, spokesmen. Uh, apostle means sent one. And Jesus specifically arranged his 12 apostles uh, He taught them, he gave them training and they were with him sort of non-stop for three years and he commissioned them and told them they could write down what he'd said and they would remember it and write it all down. Um, So what do the apostles say about this? They're the first believers. Uh, At the birth of the Christian church, let's look at Acts chapter 2. How did the Christian church begin. What sort of things were, were going on then? In Acts chapter 2, this is when uh, Jesus hadn't long been crucified and raised from the dead. And the people who had called out for his crucifixion probably were, were still there in Jerusalem. And uh, on the day of Pentecost, uh, in this Acts chapter 2, the Apostle, uh, Apostle Peter stands up and says, uh, do you realize what a huge mistake you made crucifying Jesus? Do you realize what an appalling error you made that this Jesus whom you crucified, uh, you don't see him anymore because he's in heaven. And the reason the Holy Spirit has come is because he being exalted to the right hand of God has received from the Father what you now see and hear. And and he says that this, this proves who he is, the Lord has made this man whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they hear this, they're cut to the heart. How could we possibly have made such a huge, appalling mistake? This will finish us forever. And then Peter says, amazingly, but you can be forgiven. If you repent and are baptized, you will receive, in the name of the Lord Jesus, you will, uh, you will get the forgiveness of the sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Even you, and that's just an amazing thing. And 5,000, was it 5,000 or 3,000, uh, were added to their number that day. But my point is, they heard a message and believed. It's in verse uh, 37. The people heard this. They heard words. They heard a message And in verse 40, with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them. And in verse 41, those who accepted his word. So you see, the word here is absolutely crucial. How does Christianity, how is it conveyed? How is it caught? How is it spread? By the word, by the message which uh, the apostles were preaching. And interestingly, once the there is a little community of believers. Well, it's quite a big community, isn't it? 3,000. In verse 42, what instinctively do they do? Uh, Verse 42, Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves. So there's a strong commitment here. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So if you'd ask them, how do you live your Christian life? They'd say, well, I wish we had a Bible because we could read the Bible every day. But we do pray every day 
and we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, we get as much of that as we possibly can. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. So their faith came through the word and they're continuing, their discipleship is through devotion to the apostolic word. And am I making this point that the discipleship and the word, we, I mean, if we can read our Bibles and pray every day, we're on the right track, aren't we? If we can devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching that way. And thank God, we've got a Bible. I mean, we've got everything that the apostles said. How privileged we are. You know, the church at Corinth probably just had the letter to the Corinthians. Um, But we've got the whole lot. Uh, I mean, not trying to go into how the New Testament was formed, but I think that when the apostles wrote stuff down, people said, "This this is what we need, the apostolic teaching. Let's make a copy of it. They haven't got this at Colossae. Let's send a copy to them. And so a a, a body of Scripture was accumulated. I mean, it wasn't done all overnight, but we now have the full record of of the Old Testament, of what Jesus said and what the apostles taught, and we can read it. Amazing. Paul says to the Colossians, Let the word of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. And he says, when when we go to the, the assembly at Colossae, what I'd like is as soon as I get in that door, somebody is saying something from Scripture. And when I hear you singing you're singing something of the message of Christ, of the word of Christ. Maybe you're singing a reflection on what he did. Maybe you're singing an Old Testament psalm. Maybe somebody's made something up this week uh, that's about Jesus Christ. Uh, Your assembly should be full of that word. Um, The word of Christ dwell among you richly, he says. I've got a sad recollection which is that we went to a church, and I'm sure they're lovely believing people, we were on our travels, we went to a church, and it was three quarters of an hour from the beginning before we ever heard anything from the Bible. I was very sad about that. I was very sad about that. Uh, Let the word of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom uh, through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We've sung a psalm this morning, haven't we? Singing to God with gratitude in your heart. So here's the Apostle Paul, and he says, let this word dwell in you richly. That's the way you're going to grow. Um, he doesn't say, read your Bible, pray every day. But I'm not quite sure how they would have the word of Christ dwell in them richly if they didn't do something like that. And we have got a Bible. We can go home and read it, and we can bring something back uh, that, that has encouraged us, and we can share it. Well, what about us? So, in conclusion, I've come to faith in Jesus. How can I grow? How can I continue in him? How can I grow in him? And Abraham would say, do you know the promises that God has spoken are so precious? I live my life trusting in God's promises that shaped my life 
you've got a Bible, you could do the same. And Moses would say, back in my day, um, I told people to talk about the God's word when they were at home, when they were doing the washing up, when they were going along in the car, singing uh, Christian songs and things, um, and uh, at the meal table and uh, in the morning and at night, uh, I told them to have uh, God's word in that. And you've got a Bible. Wow, you can do that too. And the psalmist would say, the way, uh, the way of the, the, the spiritual life is to certainly to avoid things, but to take delight in the law of the Lord and to meditate on it day and night. You guys have got the whole thing. Wow, you are so privileged. You could be doing that. Um, I haven't even mentioned Psalm 119, which is all about God's word. Uh, what would the Father say on the Mount of Transfiguration about the words of Jesus? There's Moses. Right on, Moses. There's Elijah. Good for you, Elijah. Here is my son. Listen to him. That's what the Father would say to us. Here's my son. Are we listening to him? And Jesus would say, look, my words are life and truth and spirit. And if you've got them, which you have in your Bible, wow, eat them. Uh, be saturated with them. Hearing my word and doing it is the difference between heaven and hell, between life and death, between glory and ruin. Uh, that's how important it is. And as I've just said, the apostle would say, guys, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Um, you haven't just got the letters of the Colossians, you've got the whole thing. Wow, how richly the word of God could dwell amongst you. So, I think read your Bible, pray every day isn't such a bad summary. Um, and if, you, if you're not happy with that, find another way. Find another way to have your life full of God's word. Uh, but find some way to do it. Um, in terms of advice, I think uh, setting aside a time is helpful. Setting aside a regular time is helpful. I think habit is helpful. Um, a lot of people find that uh, morning is a good time to, um, to read the Bible, to sort of get, get it into us. Uh, and if, you, if you're going to try and read in the morning, the sad reality is that the fight to get that happening is actually the fight to go to bed at a reasonable time, um, which we sometimes win and sometimes lose. I think we've got an enormous amount of help to read the Bible, uh, you just ask somebody else next to you if they read the Bible, if they find anything helpful. I mean, I'm not going to prescribe this is what you should do, but there are an enormous amount of helps. Uh, there are Bible notes. You can get them written, a little passage to read every day and some explanation and suitable to whatever level of Bible knowledge you have. Uh, there are deep theological books. You could ask Jerome about that, couldn't you? Um, there are study aids. There's concordances and um, references and all sorts of things like that. All sorts of ways that you can get into the Bible. Different things work for different people. But I would say just do it. Find some way of, 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 of fulfilling the things that Moses and Abraham 
and Jesus and the psalmist said. Um, you, you can get phone apps. I, I've got my Bible reading notes on my phone, but I have to say I, d- I don't always find it successful because I get ding like that and I, have to, I get distracted so easily. This is, this is me. Maybe you're different. But, um, I mean, if, if you can manage a phone without getting distracted, uh, you can have the whole Bible on your phone and everything. And I, I would say, and this perhaps is relevant if people are watching on the internet, uh, being in a Bible-soaked fellowship is really important. This is never meant to be done sort of as a lone ranger. You know, you're supposed to be in a community of people. We encourage one another. Let the word of Christ dwell among you richly. It's a, it's a fellowship thing. And if you're watching, if you happen to be watching this at any time on YouTube and you're just trying to live the Christian life on your own and tune in on the telly every now and again, that is a very difficult way to live the Christian life. It's not meant to be done like that. Get yourself into a Bible-soaked fellowship. So I hope that's helpful. I hope that encourages us. And may each of us be people who continue in Christ, who walk in Christ, rooted and built up in Christ, fruitful for him in all these ways, with the word of the Lord Jesus abiding us and being to the Father's glory. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing a little bit of Psalm 119.